Welcome to the Filmlinks Podcast. A bi-weekly podcast where we analyze all that goes into effective filmmaking. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Alex. And this is episode 107, Brutal Beasts. And joining us today is the one and only Aaron Johnson. Back on the podcast. Welcome, Aaron. Oh, yeah. What's up? <laughs> Inaugural hey, guest. So today you've brought a slew of slaying, brutal, adult animal films, which sounds wrong, but it's not what it means. Yeah. Uh, well, a little bit. Thinking. Day. Adult animation is a category that we've touched on on the podcast before. Um, it essentially just means Western style animated movies that essentially have um, visuals that kind of mirror a kid's movie, but uh, or, or an animated style that kind of mirrors a kid's, mo- kid's animated movie in the traditional sense from Disney, but kind of themes and topics that you typically see in more mature films so these are definitely pg-13 at the least yeah at Um, least maybe i I feel like they both should be r both of the martin rosen films should be r uh actually i feel like all of them should be r i don't know if they are felliday is tvma at least it's a made for tv film so felliday mentions cat sex like well, 35 times. mentions slash <laughs> depicts. Also, there's a lot of language in that movie, oh, they, too. They do just straight up depict it at a certain point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We will we will touch on all of that today. Uh, not the you, you no. know what I mean. We'll yeah. discuss all of it today. No touching, um, especially right now, because we're in the middle of an epidemic or pandemic, actually. Pandemic. Um, Upgrade. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but before we get to that, before we get to the movies, let's talk about some of the people behind these movies, because we have two two of our films today that come from the same sources, both in terms of their original written material and the person responsible for uh, bringing them to the big screen. Uh, the first of those people we're going to talk about is Martin Rosen, um, who is the director of both Watership Down and The, Pla- and the Plague Dogs. Um, he was born in 1936, um, so he's old now. Uh, he started off as a theater agent and a talent scout in America and eventually moved to uh, the UK to become a film producer on live-action movies such as A Great Big Thing from 1968 and Women in Love from 1969. Um, he was originally just the producer on Watership Down, but he eventually took over as the director after he had a series of disagreements with the original director, John Hubley. Um and he did serve as the uh, screenplay ad- adapter slash writer for both Watership Down and Plague Dogs. Yeah, they and were really kind we of have... his passion projects because he read the books and realized like how much depth there were in them or there was in them. And he right. wanted to adapt it really any way possible. He actually talks about how he considered doing stage or doing um you know, other types of art form before he kind of landed on animation as really the best way to actually show this because being stories about animals, it's really hard to pull that off in a meaningful way outside of the animation genre. It is. It is. You you can do live action. Well, Disney's been struggling with how to do realistic <laughs> live action yeah. for a long time now. Uh, yes. Uh, and obviously it's hard with real animals, you know, do you animate their mouths? Do you, how do you get them to act? It's difficult. It's expensive. That's been tried in the early thousand, early 2000s and the late 90s. Um, but, you know, perhaps animation is the best. Straight up animation is one of the best ways to get this point across uh, or to address, uh, approach these types of stories. And when we're talking about these kinds of stories, um, especially as we conceive of them uh, in the more modern sense, more adult sense, more mature sense, 
we have to talk about Richard Adams, who is the guy behind the books. Um, he was born in 1920. Um, he served in the British Army uh, Airborne Company during World War II and eventually went on to work in the Civil Service and was just really writing his stories for his children. He would tell his two daughters the stories in the backseat of the car while he drove them places. Which is hilarious because uh, t- our whole discussion is going to be about how these are not children's stories. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Uh of course, yeah. you know, as we look back onto different older children's stories, they typically have a lot darker themes, especially if you go all the way back to fairy tales um, that have frequently have deaths, brutal, brutal deaths. Um, but they're specifically stories for children. Um, but he uh, his daughters eventually convinced him that he had to turn it into a book. So he went around to publishers, you know, the whole the whole trail where you get rejected by a bunch and somebody finally picks you up. Um, he picked it up and he kind of revitalized the whole genre of anthropomorphic animal fantasy, um, which is not the same thing as a furry, even though if oh, you gosh, read that phrase, it kind of sounds like that. It's not. It's about animals who have human thoughts. They look they look like animals, they act like animals, but they have human thoughts and human motivations. Um, and his work kind of revitalized that entire genre uh, because it used naturalism. Now, when we say naturalism, we just see we just mean as it happens in the real world. Um, as it happens in reality, as it happens naturally. Um, and specifically for him, this means the brutality of life, the random death, the, the, the random deaths at any moment, you know, danger everywhere. Yeah. That's a big theme of both of both of these stories. There's also a um, lot of uh, kind of political statements in there as well, as far as like Watership Down has a lot of fascism elements. Um, and uh, obviously Plague Dogs has a lot of, kind of um, ethical arguments as far as animal testing and that kind of thing. So um, it's not necessarily just like death and <laughs> to use the, to use the phrase dog eat dog. Um, but it, it has a lot of other kind of more specific application as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is, it is a uh, deep rabbit hole of potential storytelling uh, possibilities. That's what this episode is going to be going to dive today. Uh, man, I don't know, man. I don't know what you're upset about. You're leaving me scratching the hair on my head. Oh boy. All right, Aaron, how about you? Uh, how about you talk to us about kind of, um, what, what you see in these movies and, and why you picked these three and, uh, and grouped them together for us to talk about today. Well, I picked these mostly because, you know, growing up, um, just, you know, in the West, you, you kind of grow accustomed to basically with animation, you know, Disney animation, um, you know, things that are very G-rated when it comes to um, just talking animals. Uh, if we talk about adult animation, it's usually like Simpsons or Family Guy, you know, things. Or very adult animation, equals, yeah. Yeah, you know, raunchy equals adult. But just growing up, um, when you love uh, animation and you learn that there are things that, you know, are from um, across the pond and they have blood and guts and all that stuff and language that it just you're very interested. And um, just being here, you know, last time when we talked about Disney animation, I was like, you know what, we, we need to, let's add a little spice <laughs> to this. You know, and plus, I mean, with the, um, with the whole 
what's happening in the world right now. I feel like let, let's let's get a little edge, you know, let's bring a little edge this because of I've heard some of your last episodes, so I feel like this this kind of works right into what you guys were dealing with. And it just there there's a lot of adult animation. Um we, we can do tons of episodes on this concept alone. But these three in particular take it to a much more um, serious, uh, serious tone, you know, very natural um, setting. You know, it's not everything's very grounded. You know, you don't have these animals walking on two legs except for, you know, the rabbits. But, you know, nobody is like um, like there's a, a movie called Frisk the Cat. You know, nobody's walking around on two legs you know, in a t-shirt or something, just like Mickey or Donald or, you know, what have you. These are very realistic depictions of what would happen if these animals were in a setting that we're used to seeing in, like, an R-rated live-action film. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's very, it's just a very interesting trope uh, that I think a lot of animation nerds need to get on this train with me get on it animation and I nerds. Think a lot of anim- <laughs> please like for real like this stuff is awesome and i also think animators need to uh, and writers they, they definitely need to make more um films like this uh the only thing we've gotten was a remake of watership down like 2018 Netflix. but let's get that was more like cgi bunnies this is just so interesting oh yeah it, it's um it, it loses something I, I just, just seeing 2D animation just turn into, um, turn out these very, you know, heavy and realistic, in some ways, um, storylines and plot points is just so fascinating because, you know, you're growing up with, like I said, growing up with Disney and, you know, things like that, you, you just, you, you don't know about this side of the animation world unless you actively seek it. And I guess that says something about my childhood, too. But it, it is what it is, you know? Plus, I have a sick, sick sense of humor. And um, I think I think at least one of these movies is hilarious to me. Uh, we'll get into that oh, later. But this is... Yeah, yeah. But this Better is, not be um, plague dogs. Yeah, these choices were just... <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, I think no. I know which I, one it is. I, I think I'm on the same one. track. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, all right. Well, let's just uh, open let's do a quick quick rundown of the movies that we're talking about, which we've already kind of hit on. But we're talking about Watership Down from 1978, obviously directed by Martin Rosen and based on the Richard Adams 1972 novel of the same name, which I'm actually just realizing like how closely the film followed the book. Um, like the book had, didn't really have time to become a classic per se. So I think probably the movie almost had an influence on that as well. Um, and then we'll be following that with the plague dogs from 1982, also directed by Martin Rosen based on Richard Adams, 1977 novel of the same name. And finally the one that's a little bit different, but still kind of hangs in there thematically Felidae day uh, from 1994 directed by Michael Shack, uh, based on Shack Sack. I don't know. Based on, I, I can't say that one either. Uh, a novel from 1989 of the same name. Akif Princes. Akif Princes. Prince. I think so. Pir- Princey. Pirini. Pir- Pirincies? 
Oh, Man. there is another I. You're right. Is it parentheses? Someone needs to make a supercut of us like struggling to pronounce names on this show because that will that will go forever. Um, all right, so let's have Jason set up Watership Down for us and let's get into these movies. Watership Down from 1978. Rabbit mythology tells of the rabbit prince Elreha, whose people were so superior to the other animals that they ate all the food. When he fails to control his kin, the god of all animals, Frith, grants the other animals gifts to hunt the rabbits. And once Elreha had learned his lesson, Frith granted rabbits the gift of speed and cunning. In a warren near Sandalford, a rabbit seer named Fiverr foresees the destruction of the rabbits. He and his brother Hazel escape the warren before its destruction along with a handful of other rabbits. Out on their own in a world that seems determined to kill them, Hazel and his new warren are forced on a harrowing journey. They face down farmers, other warrens, predators, and the wrath of nature itself. Perhaps most dangerous of all, they have to face down rifts within their own fledgling warren. But they have their speed, their cunning, their gifts, and they will fight as hard as they can to reach and secure their foreseen new home of Watership Down. All right, Aaron, why don't you give us just kind of, uh, what is your favorite thing about this movie? Like, what makes this movie stand out to you? Well, obviously the rabbits that are getting maimed. Yeah. No, um, the thing that the, the the thing that I love most about this movie is the very beginning, the setup of it. Um, I'm a sucker for mythology. Mm, yeah. uh, anything you know, dealing with any types of mythology, you know, I just I love the way this opens up because it sets up this kind of very unique. And that prologue um, is animated completely different. Right, and I, I just I love that. You know, it's it's you don't see that often. Um, in these kinds of films, uh, really, you know, in the other two, you don't see anything like this. It just, it's very unique. It's just a very unique take on, you know, uh, just, you know, simple mythology stories. Cause I know there are stories like this, um, out there, you know, like in Africa, you know, being, you know, different, uh, continents where they have, you know, how this has happened, how, you know, these creatures, but, you know, something about this. And then you have, um, a fiver, uh, where he, you know, he's got this, you know, prophetic visions all yeah, the time. Yeah, that's so interesting. So it's, just, it's unique elements like that that have this really cool edge to it that um, I don't think the other two have necessarily. But this one just stands out just because one is the first one I've seen. It's probably the most widely known of the three as well. Yeah. There right. actually isn't like a significant right. amount of world building in this one. Um, and I don't think there's as much in Plague Dogs because the Plague Dogs is kind of set in our, our real world. Yeah. But in this one, there is, exactly. you know, there is that unique rabbit mythology that you were talking about and there are Fiverr's visions. Um, and they do use, it is nice that they use that completely different animation style. Um, cause it, it's a nice way to communicate that we're outside of reality. It's very similar to how in live action you'd use a different color scheme or you'd mm-hmm. use a Kate different, Blanchett's uh, voiceover. Or, yep, yep. Or you'd use, you know, you might use black and white for a flashback or something yeah, right. like that. Something to visually set it apart. But uh, here, they, they use a slightly different color palette and a completely different animation style to communicate when we're in vision mode or when we're in mythology mode, which is quite nice. It actually kind of gives the entire thing more of a immersive feel and more of a fantasy feel. Um, 
Yeah, definitely. And just a story, a storybook story about a bunch of rabbits. Not to mention the fact that they're all dying Absolutely. constantly. Yeah, because um, I mean, this this one definitely has more of a fantasy uh, bent to it than like Plague Dogs, because Plague Dogs, as we'll see, kind of takes place in the real world and could have been like exactly the events that happened almost. Uh, and then we just kind of see into the dog's minds. But here in Watership Down, like, you know, the rabbits have social orders and they have, uh, you know, different types of uh, um, government and, and that kind of stuff that makes it feel more like a fantasy that's, you know, directly commenting on, you know, human structure and order and uh, uh, that kind of thing. Right. And so um, setting it up that way kind of eases us into that. And so it's not like a, well, rabbits don't have fascist dictators, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, well, we're kind of in this thing that- Don't limit rabbits could like essentially, that. Rabbits could be fascist. <laughs> it could essentially be like a, a sci-fi story where they go to, where we're seeing like an alien race or whatever that's supposed to represent us uh, in, in some kind of a way. But we're just doing that with rabbits, which I might add, rabbits are kind of underrepresented in the uh, animated animals realm, I feel like. Yeah. Hashtag representation matters. <laughs> well, yeah, for real. Bugs can't do all of it. You can't do all the work. That's true. Um, so, yeah, let's... Uh, I Also, I feel like we can't get too far into this without kind of going into the style that both Watership Down and the Plague Dogs are uh, kind of take on, which is uh, separate... It's different from if you're mostly used to, like, Disney animation where... You kind of have like, I don't know how to describe this in technical terms, but you almost have like all the colors are confined within their shapes and their lines and stuff. But the, this has a much like a, a watercolor feel. And so everything kind of like bleeds together. That's Every a, Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. it. Very watercolory. Yeah. Yeah. In the. <laughs> In a phrase that's not usually used in this context, every frame literally looks like a painting. Um, and it literally is a painting, actually, where they have, um, you know, they're doing that uh, layered approach to animation that Disney introduced. So you have your matte painting of the the landscape in the background, and then you have elements that will be moving on separate layers uh, into the foreground. Um, and so, but it's it's a much more artistic and like specifically beautiful feel than you typically get in a, a Disney film, which has its own, its own style. But this one is feels like a lot of time was spent on every single scene setting an aesthetic. Yeah. I will say sometimes the, um, the rabbit mouths weirded me out a bit. Yeah. But, they don't move with every syllable. But one thing yeah. they, they are rabbits so is is acceptable that their mouth physiognomy isn't exactly going to line up with how humans make shapes with their mouths. Yeah, that's fine and fair. They got bigger and teeth two, to work around. The, yeah, the 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 flashing of the teeth kind of reminded you just how you know beast like and you know base these rabbits could be and how brutal they could be, especially towards um, the end. Yeah. Yeah, which is important to remember because it's not just other things killing Ooh, yeah. rabbits. The rabbits are brutal themselves, and they, they kill each other quite a bit as well, which is something that I did not think could happen. Um, and now I might be Googling at the moment to yeah. see whether or not rabbits <laughs> could kill another rabbit. Um, but but it is it is a good reminder um, of just how of just who we're dealing with here because these are not cute, fluffy bunnies. 
Um, these are diehard survivalists. These are bunnies in the walking dead. Um, they, they, they are grizzled. They are survivors. One of them has crazy visions that might or might not be keeping them alive. They're desperate. Um, they're, they're trying to provide for their own future and for the future of their potential children. Um, it, it, it kind of keeps that whole feel while at the same time set against what should be, you know, this natural, like pastoral beauty of the countryside. Cause it is just gorgeous. Like the river's gorgeous. The, the forest is pretty, the wide shot of watership down the hill Mm -hmm. is, is really pretty. Um, I'm also just going to throw out there. I did not know that down was a term for like a mound of earth until very recently. I thought this was going to be about a bunch of, but and when I first heard about this story, I thought it was going to be about a bunch of bunnies on a boat that crash and then like have a Lord of the flies experience, which isn't totally, which isn't totally apart from what happens in the story. There's even a part where they're on like a raft, but it is watership down is the name of a hill, which is flabbergasting. I'm guessing that's a British thing. Yeah. Um, I think I learned that term from reading Lord of the Rings. Big shocker. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I will say as far as the locations um, in some of the behind the scenes stuff, they're talking about every location in the story is a real location uh, in the UK. And so they went out and they filmed a bunch of aerial footage. They filmed, uh, I think it says that they almost filmed the entire journey that the rabbits make from wherever (laughs) they started off to the watership down. And um, so they were using actual like templates and footage from, uh, the locations around uh, England, and I don't know if this one goes into Ireland at all or not, Plague, or uh, into Scotland, but Plague Dogs definitely does. Um, and uh, so, yeah, they're using, like, real footage of the countryside and of these locations. So I think that that really helps to uh, ground the whole thing as well. And I'm sure that if you're, you know, from England or more familiar with the uh, uh, with the country there, that 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 kind of makes it hit home even more as well. I'm also really impressed, Jonathan, and this is something you have to do in a lot of animated movies where the body shapes of the characters are less distinctive than in live action. Um, And, you you know, the costuming is sometimes less distinctive. But especially in a realm like this where all of the bunnies are, are, you know, they're not wearing clothes. um, They don't have very anthropomorphic faces. You know, how do you distinguish them? But at the same time... It, in, in use of very subtle shades, body shapes, um, and tufts then just hair. the fact that yeah. you normally see them in action or tufts of hair. You know, Big Luke has his little hairdo. Yeah, right. Um, you can you can uh, you, you can actually distinguish all of these characters, which is quite impressive from an animation standpoint. Yeah, I definitely definitely agree. Um, and uh, while we're talking about uh, distinguishing characters, uh, can we talk about the bird real quick? Oh, it's just the bird you can barely oh understand. <laughs> but he's hilarious. And I feel like he does, he's kind of sets himself apart from like Disney side characters in the fact that he has trouble communicating yeah. because of a language barrier and not because he's like just stupid, you know, like so many yeah. side characters in kids' films usually are. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got. He's got a very solid quid pro quo with the uh, with the bunnies. Yeah, which is the whole impetus for their for their relationship in the first place, which makes him a quite interesting character. And then he kind of just slowly becomes more entrenched in the bunnies group as we go on. 
Aaron, when was the first time you saw this movie? Uh, I would say 11. Wow. Oh, wow. So what was the experience of watching bunnies murder each other on screen like at 11? Well, <laughs> actually, it was, it was, it honestly wasn't that shocking um, just because, you know, I would sneak and watch horror movies at, you know, about this time too. So I really don't know why I watched this. I, I, I'm not sure. Because usually I would, you know, if I saw it on, you know, television, I would just turn from it. But this in particular, oh, God, I just watched it. And I I swore this was a Disney film for the longest, Um, (laughs) like right after um, Robin Hood or something. I was like, wow, Disney really changed, huh? (laughs) I wish Disney was this edgy. Yeah, if if they did this, I would have given them so much credit. But this was all, you have to... Um, remember, this is also the time that I was um, in my Mel Brooks phase. So uh, when I learned that um, Zero Mostel, which is the guy that played uh, Max from the producers, plays um, the seagull, I was like, oh, wow, oh, does yeah. I need to watch this. Yeah, I, I was like, I need to watch this. And sure enough, I was just, I, I, I was like, whoa. These are cartoon rabbits. They're murdering each other. What is this? This is awesome. Yeah, yeah wow, it is, there I need is, to find more this, things like this. Yeah, there is this distinct, like, unusual factor about this movie. Right. Because you don't mm-hmm. see anything else like this anywhere else. There's a Still. few exceptions, and we're basically talking yeah. about all of them today. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but it <laughs> is not. it's not something that's really ever taken off in the mainstream you know, edgy. You know, it's not that we don't like this narrative. It's that we've just because you could definitely see ver- something very similar to this, where you know main characters die all the time. It's deep and gritty. Um, in in more recent reboots of superhero movies and um, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, where people just die all the time and it's brutal, and you're like, that's natural. That's how life is. That's the whole idea behind Martin Rosen and uh, Richard Adams' work. Uh, but it's not something that ever took off in the the cutesy bunnies murdering each other phase. Yeah. Although that would be awesome if it did. And I will say that um, there's something else that I watched through a bunch of the like the extras on Criterion uh, for this movie because they're available. Like that's one thing that sets Criterion mm-hmm. apart from other streaming services. I'm just gonna throw that out there. But uh, Guillermo del Toro was talking about this film, kind of geeking out about it, um, and he's talking about the fact that you know animals have been used to tell adult stories and kid stories, obviously, but even adult stories for a long time, you know, you think Animal Farm is one of the most classic examples, but Animal Farm is almost serves one single uh, solitary purpose. Watership Down kind of has those social and political commentaries, but not at the expense of like actually creating a, a story that the, the rabbits fall into that, you know, you can get sucked into the rabbit story without necessarily uh, extracting it into political commentary. And uh, I think that's one of the things that that makes this story on its own so interesting. And also, um, you know, I, I assume there's even more in the book, like just way more world building. And I think that the movie does a pretty good job of just giving us a sense that 
there's a lot more going on. Like even just that one colony, the weird death cult colony that they go through, uh, who's just, they're resigned to the fact that their land is trapped. And, you know, if you die, you die and it's fine. And that's part of life. And, you know, we shouldn't even take any steps to avoid dying. Uh, you know, just the little time that they have interacting with them, not only kind of changes and, um, matures, the rabbits that we're following, but it gives us a sense that there are other colonies. There's, you know, there's more to this whole animal world than we, than we're seeing in the film. Even the, the white rabbits that they try to, uh, that they try to rescue, you know, we don't know why they're, I mean, they're in this, uh, farm or whatever, but we don't know why they're like caged or anything, you know, it's all just like, we get little glimpses that don't feel like we have to follow them, but we feel like if we were to, there would be a lot more, even like a whole other story to tell, you know, on that side of things. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is very appealing from a fantasy standpoint for exactly those reasons. Um, and even though it deals with real world political stuff, which is, you know, kind of the foundation of modern day fantasy. If you look mm-hmm. at Lord of the Rings, even though it's mm-hmm. not explicit in Lord of the Rings or intentional in Lord of the Rings, it happens. Um but it is very appealing. And you do have a good point. We do like to talk about, you know, the oddity of this story in, in comparison to what we normally see um, and how that is kind of appealing to, to a certain extent. Uh, but the story itself is good. You know, yeah. it is it is a well put together story with compelling characters um, who have good arcs. And it's kind of like got this mythological flair to it, not only in the framing story with uh, Erara, I think is the name of the. The, right. the bunny lord. Yeah. Um, El or something like that. El, El Ra. Um, but in, in kind of like, it's an origin story for the, the, the bunnies of Watership Down. Like this is the story that the, the grandchildren and great-grandchildren will tell of how Watership Down came to be for uh, generations after this. Uh, this is a mythological tale that we're looking at in a fantasy world. Even though within the world itself, it is kind of just the standard human world. It kind of adds this depth and fantasy layer to it. Yeah. Which is nice and kind of, you know, humbling to accept that even though maybe the bunnies don't have a bunny God, uh, there is, there is a large portion of the world that exists outside of the human scope and even underneath our very own feet. Yeah. Um, So before we move on, I kind of want to, uh, do a bit, put down a bit of a spoiler warning so we can talk about the ending a bit here. So if you haven't seen the film, uh, go check it out. You can find it streaming anywhere. You've got plenty of time right now. No excuses. It's also on Criterion. Um, but uh, so as we move into just the the very end of it, the thing that um, I think I I went back and tried to like work this out because the. The first time that I watched this, which was not that long ago, it was a couple months ago, but um, I, afterwards, I kind of had this moment of, hang on a second, did we resolve all the loose ends? Because they kind of uh, leave a couple of the stories like um, uh, Fiverr and Bigwig, they kind of are broken off in the middle of the big right. battle, and then we skip to like many years later. Um, what Did you guys have a similar kind of sense? I just kind of assumed that they made it through. Yeah, it was kind of like 
they they won the day. But it was thinking back on it after I had watched it, I was like, wait, what happened to them? I can't remember. But see, that's what the television series is for. Oh, right. There is a television series. Does it tell us what happens? Not the Netflix one? No, it's a, uh, it, it, I think it was early 2000s or 90s. Um, they, ma- they made a, um animated series that I think it was a retelling, but also a continuation, like what happens right after. Um, I'm not sure if it tied up all those things, but definitely answered a few of them just because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think they knew uh, Watership Down would be you know, what it is considered today. Uh, yeah. Which is, you know, I'm sure the book has way more detail that they just figured, you know, you kind of right. get the point in the movie. Uh, so, yeah, I just thought that was, that was kind of the one thing that after the movie, I was like, huh, I don't feel totally resolved on that point. <laughs> we can't have eight endings in Watership Down, Jonathan. <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Okay, last thing, uh, the art, Gar- the uh, art Garfunkel song, Bright oh, Eyes. Thoughts? Is there an art Garfunkel song in this? Yeah, yeah. the the Bright Wait, Eyes where? song that that uh, whenever they see the black rabbit, um, right. and Hazel's been shot, and Fiverr goes back to rescue him. Um, art Garfunkel sings sings that song about uh, Bright Eyes and the rabbits dying and stuff like that. Dark man. Yeah. Apparently, Garfunkel didn't like the song very much after he recorded it, and uh, they wouldn't put it on any of his albums until the movie came out and it became number one. And then they went back and destroyed all those albums and added it to the new ones. (laughs) So that's a fun bit of trivia. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, there's there's a weird cameo in another movie we're going to talk about today. Um, Oh yeah. Oh boy. That that is that is a musician, uh, and a little unexpected. But but yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Who gets who gets pulled into the range of these? And very much at the time, I can only imagine like, what you're making a movie about rabbits killing each other? What? Yeah. Or getting killed? Like that's crazy. <laughs> and then you 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 realize that this is just Bunny Odyssey, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anything else about Watership Down, guys? Uh, well, I do want to bring up Jonathan. Yeah. That if you are like me and fond of RPGs or looking for something to do while um, while you're stuck in isolation, there is a game called Bunnies and Burrows, which came out in the 80s, I believe. It's very much style on Dungeons and Dragons, as you can tell by the name. But it is it is an RPG based on Watership Down, where you play as rabbits. Okay. Well, there's that. Well, I have to play this. I will... Uh... Try and find a link to that and post that on the uh, uh, on the blog post. So there you go. If anyone wants to to live Watership Down, now's your chance. Uh, but other than that, let's move on to Plague Dogs from 1982. Jason, why don't you set that up for us? The Plague Dogs from 1982. Ralph. A Labrador mix is held captive at a research laboratory where he is forced to undergo trials in a water vat, seeing how long he can tread water before drowning. He is revived each time. Snitter, a smooth fox terrier, was given over to the facility after accidentally playing a part in his loving owner's death. The researchers have performed brain experiments on him, and he has a nasty scar and bandage on top of his head, as well as serious mental processing issues. 
They are only two of many at the lab, but when Ralph's cage is left open by mistake, they take the opportunity to make a dramatic and daring escape. Suddenly, they find themselves on the run across the Scottish countryside, hunted by the research team and feared by the country folk. Starving and still suffering from the brutal experiments of the lab, Ralph and Snitter struggle to survive and turn to a cunning and devious fox named the Todd. In a better world, perhaps these two would be allowed to live on their own in the wild, but their search for food brings them too close to the locals, who soon join the hunt. Soon it seems like the entire country wants them dead, and all the dogs can do is run. Alright, Aaron. Plague dogs is, like we've been saying, the same people that made Watership Down. I feel like a lot of, a lot more people know about Watership Down than Plague right. Dogs. So, uh, just kind of talk us through your impressions of Plague Dogs. When did you get introduced to it, and um, what what do you appreciate about it as distinct from Watership Down? So, I saw Plague Dogs, I think, uh, a little after I saw Watership Down, just because I was so interested in this style of animation. Mm-hmm. And I was immediately thrown off for a number of reasons. Um, mostly one because the animation, uh, it, it's it's. I just want to point different. out real quick at, before we even get into yeah. this that uh, both you and Alex have dogs, so this is very sensitive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. I if you had told me oh, uh, yeah. when I Chucky first watched it with me, like it, see you see you are. Braver than me. You're braver than me, sir, because I, I, I just, oh my gosh. I have two dogs, so you can imagine. I, I was just like, uh, oh wow. Oh wow. It, it's, you know, I, you don't see a lot. Well, I mean, you have tons of, you know, animated films and live action films discussing animal cruelty, but they usually don't go to this length. And they usually it, don't get inside the dog's heads right. either. And it, it just, it's so, it was. It, it, I hate to use the word again, but it's very unique, and um, I just I really appreciated how it how it handled um, mental illness and you know different a, a lot of different aspects that you really don't see in animation. It wasn't even in Watership Down um, as as much as it is in here. You know, just with uh, you, you know like fears. And you know hatred, it, it, a lot of different concepts PTSD. that were so right. You know, a lot of yeah. a lot of heavy concepts that I really don't see handled to the the level that it was in here. Um, I don't think any animated film, uh, even adult animation, really captures the kind of dread that this that this does. And I I just this is probably my favorite out of the three for that reason. And Oh, I once again, I had a very interesting childhood because just thinking about it now, I watched all of these, well, except for the last one, I watched um, both of these when I was right before I went in, or in middle school. So I, I just, I, I don't know what my tastes were. I, I really want to, if I could <laughs> talk to myself at 11 and 12, I'd be like, why? But what was the reason? I I think a part of me also considers like a companion piece to um, Lady and the Tramp. I, I just I, I have Ooh. no idea what. Yeah, because you know you can't I don't know see about the. That. Um, I mean, if it's the stylistic choice, you know, you, the the way they show the humans, 
um, you know, everything from the animal's perspective. It, it just, it's such an interesting... I think Martin Rosen's team didn't like animating humans because they, really they tried didn't. to avoid it as much as possible. Yeah, they, they really didn't. It, it, it just, this humans is, are overrated. That's the point of the movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. summed it up. I, I, so I will say, there is a certain almost exaggerated cruelness to this movie. Yeah. At least that's how I like to think about Maybe, it. Maybe, yeah. Um, because definitely. I know humans are definitely capable of this and worse. Um, yeah, the way it's portrayed, though, is just like, you know, the most cold, calculating type of scientific um, evaluation that you could think of. Like, in a stereotypical way, like you're saying, and you just really hope that it's just a stereotype, but you're also too scared to look it up. So. Right. Um, because you you have to imagine that the the book comes from a place of uh, Richard Adams, you know, knowing something about the practices that happen at animal testing facilities and being like, I have to kind of, I have to show this. I have to bring awareness of this in a way that's not, I mean, a little bit, but not super in your face preachy. It's like more it's much more on the uh, the pathos side and just, you know, showing you what these dogs are going through. Um, and I, I will say that I, I listened through 99% of this book. I'm almost done with it. Uh, but the one thing that they, I don't think they brought it up in the movie is that the, um, oh, I got to look this up to make sure that it's right. Um, the animal testing facility is called something like uh, Animal Research and Scientific Experiments. It spells out A-R-S-E. Oh. Animal Research, Scientific, yeah. and Experimental. And so... Get it? It's the British word for ass. Yeah, so the whole time... Uh, oh, wow. He's just like... He's got this uh, tongue-in-cheek thing going on a little bit. But, yeah, the rest of it is is very, uh, you know, straightforwardly dark and sad and intentionally so and it's like this is this is a story where um the old writing maxim of uh make your characters suffer almost goes too far understatement yeah no, there are there is a certain amount of like curse about these dogs yeah. like they are they are just straight up cursed yeah like even the way like snitter or snitter like oh somehow God. magically manages to get two humans killed is crazy yeah uh, the second one is such a heartbreak, though, because there's just like this beautiful oh, yeah. golden release of tension where you're like, oh, they're going to be safe now. There's a human who likes them, who's kind. And then, oh, nope. Yeah. Stepped on a shotgun. And I will say there are um, in the book, there's two characters, including that one, that are kind of implied to have been former Nazis uh, that were taking refuge in uh, Scotland or England or wherever. And so like, you're, I kind of like don't know how to feel about that as far as... Uh, <laughs> Um, he was going to take it more him okay in, that Snare killed him. Maybe, yeah, but it's just it's kind of like a weird thing to to throw in there. But obviously, the the movie takes out almost all of the the storylines involving the humans, and basically, it does a really good job of conveying it through um, these like little voiceover sections that happen while we're seeing Ralph and Snitter uh, travel the countryside and. Uh, so we get a sense of what's happening around them and kind of just outside of their uh, purview or understanding. And um, 
so we were able to condense a lot of story into this one. I mean, it's not even a journey film. It's just, it's kind of just a, a meandering, wandering uh, character study, uh, which is, it's really interesting from that kind of a structure point of view. Yeah, it, it is definitely a story about loss. Like you kind of, you kind of have this feeling from the get-go that they are going to lose. Um, you you kind of know that from the beginning, yeah. Throughout the movie. Uh, it is it is just a question of, based on the opening scene, how long can they hold their head above water? Uh, <laughs> in the entire <laughs> movie, they're essentially there. just... They're, in the entire movie, they're just treading. You know, just suffering. Trying to stay alive. Yeah. Um, and and the, the film is very effective. You're not... I, I can't, can't imagine you watching this movie and then going out and being mean to an animal in any, right. any sort of way. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but yeah, there is certainly a, a feel at the end. Like there's one of the saddest lines from the book, um, is towards the very end. Um, they're, you know, they're out of food. They're running away. They know they're kind of coming to the end of it. And Ralph is, is saying, I wanted to be a good boy. I would have done any, or, or a good dog. I mean, it basically comes to the same thing, but I wanted to be a good dog. I would have done anything for the humans except the tank, you know, just, I, I wanted to be your friend. I wanted to, you know, help you and be with you, but, you know, I don't understand why I was made to do that. Uh, and the fact that he sees every, like, pond and puddle as another tank right. that is set up by the humans just to torture him is just one of the saddest things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it really, all you good stories are about actions having consequences. Um, and typically the actions that have consequences are the characters, the protagonists. But in this one, we're seeing the effect of other people's actions on our protagonists. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting structure in this case, incredibly effective. So what so did y'all think? Can we talk about oh, that? Yep. Go for it. Can, can we talk about the ending of this movie? Oof. Oh, no, not yet. Um, okay. Can we talk about the Todd first? Oh, yeah, let's talk about the Todd. So when <laughs> I was I was listening through the book before I watched it, and I literally had to go look up what a Todd was because that's all they describe him as. Um, but a Todd is a fox for those uh, like me. And the fox is the this main side character in the film who has a really interesting relationship with him, which is one of... Uh, half parasitic, half friendship. Um, and he also has the fun Scottish accent that's at times uh, unintelligible. But he he's a As very... As all good Scottish accents are. <laughs> right. He's a very distinctive character. What do you guys think? Uh, I liked him quite a bit. I like that he kind of... He's kind of a representation of what growing up uh, in that... that environment of expecting the world to be awful to you it's kind of the epitome uh, wild does wild dog that they're trying to yeah. be yeah and and you know the 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 thing about ralph and snitter ralph and snitter not ralph um is that they expected as as puppies you can tell they expected the world to be a different way to them than it is mm -hmm. and they're, they're they're kind of like experiencing the world suddenly revealing that it was lying the whole time to them throughout the movie um, but the Todd grew up expecting the world to treat him like a fox. And so he reacts to it that way. Um, so you, he's a nice character just for that, that interesting contrast of uh, expectation versus reality. I think, in, I think in hindsight, 
This reminds me of Fox and the Hound, the more I think about oh, it. Oh, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, just about expectations versus reality and, you know, um, you know, through the eyes of animals and coincidentally it's a fox and dog in there too. <laughs> yeah. One of the sadder Disney mustache. movies too. Yeah. Um He also he also proves himself eventually in the end. Like he, right. he has yeah, a right. good finality to his story arc. Yeah. That is really respectable. And I, I also want to bring up the uh get into a little bit of the brutality of this movie because there is brutality in this movie not in the same way as Watership Down but once they're on their own uh, and they've escaped from arse uh, they have to uh, literally kill to survive and so they're eating all the uh, all the sheep on the Scottish countryside and some of those scenes like some of that is pretty graphic oh yeah yeah, no, it's 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 that naturalism in again. It's yeah. like this is what animals do to survive. Definitely, um, and uh, yeah, as we get towards the end and the the uh, all the troops, literally the troops get called out on them. Um, the- oh yeah, no, it gets way over the top. Like if yeah. you guys have seen Blues Brothers, where at the end, like yeah, it's yeah. it's the cops and the FBI and the military and SWAT teams and tanks and helicopters and planes chasing them all it, it kind of has that same feel of escalation which kind it kind of though it ends the same way though <laughs> it, it kind of in the book is led up to uh like i was talking about with you guys off air a little bit it, there's almost this whole ace in the hole situation going on on the human side where yeah. the media has built this up so much that there's so much public attention on this story that it feels more justified like it's all a political move it's not necessarily like we've got to kill these two dogs it's like we've got to kill these two dogs to save face to look good to blah 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 blah. so there's a lot of that political stuff going on behind the scenes that uh makes sense to not translate into an hour and a half film um but sir patrick stewart does get to lead those troops so that's a fun cameo um yeah Okay, so what do you what do you what do you, can we talk about the ending now? Yeah, so now we're gonna put down the spoiler warning okay. and we'll talk about the ending. Uh, so go. F- so I've read, I've I've read quite a few articles about this, Jonathan. Okay, about whether or not you could prove which way this ends. And I don't know, maybe a definitive mm-hmm. ending is given in the book, but I kind of feel like the definitive ending, or, or how, which way this ends, is more decided. Uh, it tells you what kind of person you are. Like there's two people, kinds of people in the world. Yeah. So the way this, the way, the way this movie ends is they're, they're running away from the police. Uh, they're running away from the military. They're out at, swimming off of a beach and, and uh, they're, they're struggling to breathe. They're treading water. It's very much like the tank all again. Um, and Ralph just keeps killing, telling Snitter, there's an Island ahead. There's an Island. And then the fog kind of clumps yeah. around them. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Um, and then it's left to, for you to decide whether or not there was an island or not and whether or not they made it. Right. Um, and essentially, I think there's two kinds of people. There's the kind of person who doesn't think there's an island because everything's been so negative in this movie or the kind of person who thinks there's an island because they, they need for that hope to be there at the very end. Yeah. And this is, like I said, I have an hour left in the book and so I don't have any uh, thing to add from that side. But I will say in the film point of view the way 
that it ends with their heads above the water and the water like with this is something that you can almost only do in this type of watercolory animation is the water and the clouds start to mix together to this point where they're almost just kind of floating in the frame uh i mean they're literally floating but um it reminded me a lot of the very last shot of Yvonne's childhood, uh, which is where Yvonne is running across the water, but he almost just looks kind of isolated, almost like he's flying because the reflection of the sun in the water almost makes it disappear. And so it, it has this very ethereal kind of heavenly feel to it that almost implies the fact that, you know, almost that they're not even swimming anymore. Like it's already over. I think, it, I think it, this is one of those times where it's actually really important that it ended the way it did, uh, that it ended with uncertainty uh, because to kill them off is too pessimistic. Blatantly. Yeah. It's saying it is, it is it, in killing them off. You would write off the world. Um, but in, in saving them, you would undo all of the work that you've done previous previously yeah, in the movie to the show stakes. how bad the world would be um you you would you would essentially say the world doesn't need change because oh look these dogs made it in the end um but you you need to make it so that the audience is the one responding and completing the story in their own minds saying the world needs to be a place where there's an island there uh, better yet there, the world needs to be a place where there doesn't even need to be an island there yeah, right. because these dogs wouldn't have gone through the hell that they did um so it's it's actually I think there's always a temptation out there to leave to leave movies with uncertain endings and I've certainly seen plenty of movies where the storytellers seem like a little full of themselves and they're like oh we're gonna give it an uncertain ending or lazy you have to decide or it's just lazy or they think they're being brilliant if they're not and it just doesn't work but this is one of those times where an uncertain ending which prompts the audience to complete it on their own actually works it's actually very close to the ending of inception where yeah. the what yeah. matters isn't actually whether or not the top falls what matters is that you think about is it. whether is, is that you think about it what do you want the top to do that's that you interacted with the story and and whether or not you want this character to be in a dream whether or not you don't want him to be in a dream you know is it right for him to be in a dream is it okay for him to be you know it's it's this open ending that actually gives the story all everything that's been built in the story its final impact that lasts beyond the theater uh yeah aaron last beyond the storytelling impression yeah aaron what what is your impression of the ending and has has your impression of the ending changed since you saw it as a kid to going back and rewatching it uh, now? Oh God, yes. Uh, when I originally watched it, I I was like, oh, so they made it to the island because you know at the when when the credits start rolling, the clouds kind of form an island, you know, shape. Mm-hmm. Um, but rewatching it several times um, over the years, I'm just like, huh, this. This really makes you think, and uh, like you guys were saying, you know, it, it really does remind me of Inception, actually. Um, it, it just, it's, it's so amazing how, how open endings, you know, really do, like, like Alex was saying, you know, it really reflects your mindset in a way, um, just because, you know, sometimes when, you know, when I'm, you know, very upbeat and I, you know, I'm usually an optimistic person. 
uh, so you know when I when I watched the movie, you know, like a few years ago, I was like, okay, so they totally did make it just because you know all the crap that's happened. But you know that's not real life, and I think that's what this movie, you know, even though it had some very over the top moments, I think that's what it was really, you know, getting after is that you know life can be in a sense rough, but it was, <laughs> and. Yep, yep, we need another one. I we love that Ralph's pun, name especially is an onomatopoeia. Like oh, they're both, right? they both, they both are. Yeah, right. They're both, they're both just the sounds dog make, dogs make. Okay, guys. Um, it's such a good yeah. movie. Can I uh, drop a story bomb on you guys right now? Since we're in the spoiler Here, section right now. Um, so, in the book, this is very, like towards the very end of the book, the journalist who's been following this whole thing gets a letter and we realize that Snitter's master is alive. <laughs> he he oh, wow. w- went into intensive oh, really? care in the hospital and then, uh, you know, isn't following the news and eventually finds like one news article about the dogs and sees the picture. And it's like he writes a letter to the journalist and is like, uh, so I think that's my dog. Can I get him back? And the journalist is like, what? <laughs> I've been building this whole story against the dogs. And then he has to flip it on its head. And uh also, the the character of the owner's sister who sold the dog for money for herself because she didn't like the dog um, mm. and was promised that the dog would never leave the facility alive. Like, there is so much that goes on, but just that one moment where you realize, oh, wow. oh my gosh, Snitter's master is alive, like, just changes everything oh, emotionally. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, that changes a lot of stuff. Yeah. God, I would love for Snitter to be able to go back with this. <laughs> Yeah, so that's I understand why they didn't, you know, throw a twist in there with like 15 minutes of the movie left. But uh, that was especially after because I was like reading through the book and then I watched the movie. So I kind of knew where the movie was going as I'm getting towards the end of the book. And then I was like, wait, what? So, um, yeah, both movie and book. Very good. Uh, Do you guys have any other um, last bits on Plague Dogs? Uh, oh, I did want to bring up that this movie is a has a huge influence on the the Wes Anderson film Isle of Dogs. Oh yeah, I'd love uh, to hear about dogs that. being yeah. tested, island with dogs on it. Um, you know the cruelty of man towards dogs. It's 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 built in there along with you know a thousand other films. Is that official? Um, uh, or conjecture? It it's it's very obvious to me. Let me see if I can find anything that's official on that. Oh yeah, Alex, you were right. Yep, right. yep. He said he cited it along with 101 Dalmatians as an yep. influence on both the Fantastic Mr. Fox and yep. the Plague Dogs. Which, I if you think about it, you know the Todd and Fox in the Fantastic Mr. Fox right. are rather quite similar. Right. That. So now I have to. So this is a companion piece. Um. Yeah. This is. This changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> have you Have you not seen it? Oh no! Yeah, I have. No, I, okay, just, I haven't seen it in a while. I was about to say, it sounds like you would love oh, it. That, that is that is my favorite. That's my favorite Wes Anderson film. That's like, a good one, yeah, man. My, yeah. Okay, so with that, let's move from uh, canines to felines and talk about uh, Felly Day from 1994. Felly Day from 1994. Francis is a smart, cynical cat who moves to a spooky house with his romance writer-architect owner. One day, he finds a dead cat in the attic and meets a dangerous-looking Maine Coon named Bluebeard. 
After the discovery of another dead cat, Francis discovers that a sect of cats that worship an entity called Claudandis performs ritual suicides on the roof. Francis wraps himself in the mystery of this sect of cats and their origins, finding that Claudandis was a cat who survived a lab experiment and freed his fellow captive cats. The descendants of those cats form the current sect, who are on a murder spree of their own and developing plans that could devastate the entire world. Now it's up to Francis to stop them, but he'll find he's up against much more than just the ghost of Claude Dandis. Alright guys, so I want before we get into like the, the actual nitty-gritty, I want to bring up the weird song cameo, because I teased that earlier. <laughs> I know, I was like, it's a German the, the film intro. that starts with an American song. No. Or, uh, or an I English song. I think it's song. a British song. Sorry, an, it's a yeah, British song. English. Yeah. Um, but it's Boy George who sings the intro track. And I remember listening, watching the movie and being like, this this song's way too specific. This was made for this movie. Oh, definitely. Did they really make a song for this movie in English? Yeah. That's so strange. Yeah, it is a really interesting choice. Okay, Aaron, I kind of want to start with, how did you find this movie? Oh, like, my gosh. Where does this movie come from? Well, well without getting too, too much into... Um, the, the incredibly twisted world of a adult animation. Um, after, you know, the Plague Dogs and Worship Down, I went through this rabbit hole but, uh, um, in my high school years. Yeah, see what I did there? And I, I came across uh, tons, tons of movies that were, you know, for mature audiences, and Philadelphia was one of them, and I just remember watching a clip of it on the early days of YouTube, and being like, what is this? You know, I thought it was, um, there's another film called Gay Curry, and I, I swore it was just for the longest, and I just remember one incredibly detailed scene, and being like, oh my god, I have to watch this. Which scene this was that? Is, this, <laughs> the, the, um, all of the decapitation. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I was just like, what? Is, how, how did, who is, you know, I, like, I thought this was, um, this was maybe, you know, some, something made, you know, by, um, Ralph Bakshi, which is a, you know, prominent, um, animator in the adult industry. And, I I was just I was kind of taken aback when I when I actually watched it because um, originally watching it you know it had um, its original language in German or Dutch and I was like okay there's got to be an English dub of this and sure enough you know I'm sitting here watching it and being you know at like 15 or 16 and like oh wow this is this is definitely this is definitely a side of animation I didn't. I really didn't think they went, you know, that someone would just, you know, sit here and animate, you know, what they would animate in this film. And I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised um, at how perfect it was. And ah. I, I just, <laughs> it, it, I, I had to be positive about, you know, what no, the stop. experience. <laughs> I can't. I can't. This movie. This movie is hilarious to me. I. I, I Are you I, kidding I me, Aaron? A, no, no. I. I will I, say it hits it, all the right beats. Like. Yeah, it, it's it's perfect. It's a perfect mystery film. Yeah, we've done. It's I mean, it's strangely enjoyable. I did not expect myself yeah. to enjoy this as much as I did. I felt the same way. It was like 
once you kind of realize, okay, this is a noir or neo-noir with cats, which we've talked about noir a lot on the podcast already, um, you just kind of like fall into it and you're like, wow, this is actually a pretty good noir with cats. Like surprisingly, like I, you almost expect the setup to be more gimmicky than they're able to pull off. And yet like the story actually like flows. It's just as crazy as like, um, almost like a weird, uh, Richard Donner thing where the bad guy goes to almost, uh, bond villain levels of, uh, of craziness, which we definitely have to get into, uh, cat Hitler, um, which is essentially what ends up being the, the case. Um, but, uh, also like there are some really creative elements, like all of the dream sequences are super interesting and oh, draw yeah. you in. Like the first one happens pretty early and it, like if you're not hooked into it already, like that dream sequence makes you really want to know what the heck is going on. Yeah, no, it is, it is, it's fantastical, but the plot's really good. Yeah. Um, and, and the, you know, there's some aesthetic things and some thematic things that make you scratch your head, um, such as the rampant inclusion of cat intercourse, including yeah. <laughs> the blatant, the blatant depiction of cat intercourse. Um, yeah. But it is actually, you know, it's wrapped up, it's wrapped up in the, in, in the plot. And it would actually, if it were all humans, it would kind of make more sense. Um, I know I kept, th- I don't know why, but I kept going back to it. I kept going back to LA confidential. I don't know why that's fair. That yeah. was kind yeah. of the closest thing that I could think of on a, like a tone level, not necessarily like specific story level. So Aaron, what, what part of this movie stands out the most to you? The blood and guts, obviously. Okay. Um, I think that's just a yeah, given for all three of these. Brutal, you know, brutal uh, cat, but, brutal um, cat murders. Story. Yeah. The really, uh, just, just the, uh, the setup from, you know, from the very beginning, you know, you, you, you know, it's a typical noir film. So, you know, I, that, that, uh, that automatically sucked me in uh, when I originally watched this and I always come back to it for that reason. Um, I, I just, I don't see too many, I don't, I definitely don't see too many animated films, uh, going to this length. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know the the whole uh, subplot about the cult, uh, and that you know, um yeah. oh no there's uh what's the movie um Secret of Nim I think this is I was like, thinking that too. Me of that oh gosh yeah. that's fair yeah especially so when they go I down the hole where all the skeletons here. are right right you know and I I grew up on Secret of Nim so that you know just just kind of watching this this is like its older brother. Uh, from a much different perspective. Yeah, it's and, like uh, Don yeah, Bluth went emo. Yeah. Well, Tim Burton. Yeah, basically a German Tim Burton. Um, so, yeah, there's so many, like, characters. And, like, we're talking about uh, right. as far as distinctive character, uh, I guess, building as far as, like, all the different cats. Like, Kong is very distinctive from Blaubart, who is very distinctive from... Uh, what's what's the main cast name? Like Felix or something really boring? Frederick. Um, sure. Oh, out of all the cat names, he has Fritz? the most boring Is it one. Fritz? Francis. I think it's Francis. Francis. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But uh, they all have a distinctive look, so you can kind of keep track of them very easily. Uh, and also, they're all well, actually all the ones that are that are from this location because the whole backstory of there was like a 
evil scientist, which goes way closer to, to Plague Dogs than I was expecting as yeah. far as the uh, animal testing on the cats. Um, the uh, So all of these cats have been kind of like deformed in some way, which is actually kind of important as you start getting towards the end of the mystery and you're trying to figure out who is the uh, the the big bad um, cat mm-hmm. because they all look like they could the be big bad cat. They they all look like they could be the one that has been dissected and and re put together like a hundred times. Um, mm-hmm. And I was <laughs> I was really getting confused. Um, and uh, yeah, then we get to some of the stuff at the end. But like you know, Kong is obviously very uh, distinctive and. Uh, Again, this is one where like there are kind of humans in it, but not really. Yeah, there's some, and they, they even have some speaking roles, but it's not really. Yeah, about them in any shape or form, and they're not, they don't even even play as like characters. They're it, passing experiences, except for Mendel. Well, Mendel Mendel has like oh god, that's I've never been so scared of Mendel in my life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's I mean that's where this goes to this literal like uh like kind of kind of spoilers um where the the story turns into like this uh this cat trying to build an aryan race of cats or something uh basically or an Egypt, specifically egyptian but that's the analog yeah right so that was so especially coming like like i hate to say it, but especially coming out of germany to be like so blatantly like yeah. this is practically hitler uh, in cat form was really fascinating and just kind of came out of the blue for me. Oh, Disney. This is not Disney. <laughs> I'm trying to keep track because like Alex said, this is a it's a very plot heavy movie, which it almost has yeah. to be by definition of being a noir film because that's largely yeah, the draw it's all about, of noir films. Uh, um, yeah, it's all about the plot. Yeah, which makes it kind of hard to like there are just so many little things. There's you know, the cats electrocuting each other. There's the uh, I again, I really love the dream sequences. Like when they have the, the doctor whose face is just like blacked out is such an interesting visual. Uh, right. And then um, whoever it was very, you know, what that reminded me of mm-hmm. um, Spellbound. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, so here's a question, guys. I watched the dub. I know, Jonathan, you watched the dub. Um, I watched the sub. What did you guys think? Did you? Yeah, there's a sub How version on, on YouTube. How did mm-hmm. I, I watch the, that was, the dub was the first thing that popped up, so I just watched it. Um, but you've, you've seen the dub, right, Aaron? Yeah. Okay, what did you think of the dub? Uh, it could have been better. Could've it's been better. It's about what you expect the yeah. resources to be for an yeah. odd German adult animated film right. uh, it, that was being transitioned into the English speaking market to get for its dub. Right. Um, you think of, of how much they spent on it. You think they would have. Yeah, know, let's talk about that a too. The, a little more on the, on the dub. Yeah, it's basically. It's, it's a little flat. It's, it's like it's undirected right. almost. Right. Hmm. Like the like the characters don't perform badly, it's just they're kind of bland. Or the actors don't perform badly. It's just a little bland. Okay. It's like stuff is mistimed, or like some of the voices kind of speak over each other occasionally, which exactly. is just the mixing. 
Um, and sometimes it's like, well, some big reveal happened and then you don't hear that reflected in the voice. Like they just keep speaking in the same way. Um, so it, it doesn't feel like untalented. It just feels uncoordinated. Wow. Y'all need to find the subbed version. I'm going to put that. I'm going to put a link to the subbed version in the blog post for anyone that's interested. Um, yeah, you got to see it to believe it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess Alex, you found this fact about this being the most expensive German animated film ever. Yeah, uh, it, ten million marks were spent making this thing, That's which crazy. I don't know how that compares to euros. But I'm guessing it's a lot. Um, yeah, that's a lot of money, y'all. Especially for this, you know, made for TV. I don't know how that translates as far as uh, you know German entertainment, but usually made for TV is like the the bottom rung, like low, low production level stuff, uh, yeah, in the U S we're, we're, we're used to that in the U S where we have a, uh, thriving movie economy yeah. by, by the standard of the world. Um, even though it's not nothing compared to what we used to have, right. uh, where in, in other countries, especially in, uh, especially in European countries, movies are often just made, for their artistic value, like they're essentially given government grants to make, and that's about it nowadays. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's, I mean, you can you can see the the quality, like the the animation and the the creativity in some of the the scenes and the the lighting and the aesthetic, like all of that. It looks really good. Um, I mean, it probably holds its own aesthetically with disney animation um and uh so i think Uh, how do you think disney would animate cat sex (laughs) well Uh, probably some kind of like cutesy look at camera and fade to black oh like a little eyebrow race yeah (laughs) we put that joke in for the adults so they don't fall asleep i definitely yeah think that disney would imply it but i (laughs) but i will say the very last scene of this film, when uh, I don't think this is too much spoilers, but the the room catches fire and there's a big uh, fight between Francis and the the bad cat. Um, there are shots in there that are that look exactly the same as the climax of The Lion King, and this movie came out the same year as The Lion King. I'm actually gonna post this comparison on Twitter, uh, but that like were these animators in cahoots with the Disney animators or like what's going on there? I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, I don't know, man. Independent genesis of similar similar in products. Yeah, maybe. it happens. But I will yeah. say that that uh, the way the the bad guy is dispatched of is much more graphic <laughs> in Felidae. Just a little oh, yeah. bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't they don't hold back. <laughs> uh, especially like you've built up so much graphicness up to that point, like you can't let the bad guy right. off without like, you know. Oh yeah, what Thema- thematically it makes perfect sense. Uh, I think there is just something that in us as Americans, that's like, oh wow, that's something really graphic right. to put in a in a in a in an anime movie. Yeah, but other countries are like, it's just a movie. If this is an adult movie, we're gonna do what you know what we would normally show. <laughs> okay, so I think we're ready. Unless you guys have anything else about Philly Day to move on into uh, overall stuff. Let's do it. All right, so. Uh, First of all, let's talk a little bit about um, how what what are the elements that make kind of Felly Day fit or not fit in with this mix? Because I, I definitely feel like Watership Down and Plague Dogs um, 
hold their own like on their own, but Felly Day fit a little better than I thought it would when Aaron first pitched it to us. <laughs> yeah, they're all they're all dark. They're, I think the the most striking thing about all of them is that they include stuff that you wouldn't typically expect in an animated movie. They yeah. are set apart um, specifically by their mature themes and content, um, which makes them interesting. And it allows you to do it in this fantastical way that allows you to depict imagery you can't normally in in live action movies. Yeah, in a weird way, that's not exactly science fiction and it's not exactly fantasy. Using animals is almost like a subcategory of those that allows you to get to the yeah. same place where you can talk about human nature without using humans. Um, but it, it, it kind of is a little distinct. And I think that's interesting because there's not a whole lot of, uh, especially these kinds of, um, uh, highly produced animated films that kind of go that route. I think um, most, most if not most often if not uh, with these particular films, um, you look at the first two, Watership Down and Plague Dogs, and just animation wise, the style is so different um, compared to Phil Day. Uh, I think it it definitely if if you were to tell me or tell really anybody who you know keeps up with animation like that, uh, just the three years and you show them three. Um, distinctive images of these films, you can definitely tell what years these were made as well. Um, they definitely fit together better than some of the other choices I had originally, uh, just because, you know, this is a subject of, you know, animal tribalism, you know, of, with these, you know, talking animals, um, all the cruelty, you know, all the you know, cruelty of man, you know, that really what Really, all three of these just come down to, you know, cruelty of man, but also cruelty within, you know, the circles of these, you know, different, you know, animal groups um, that you just, you see often, you know, in, you know, just about every animated film you can get. And I swear every Disney film, you know, talking animals does this, but not to the lengths of, you know, all of these, but showing how, you know, there's always something bigger that, you know, that's the idea of these. There's always something bigger out to get you. And, you know, that is the way of nature. I think that's a really interesting point as far as the way that humans come into play. Because like we've been saying, they're not um, characters in these films necessarily. But all of the conflicts in these films are instigated by humans. Even Watership Down, which starts with... Uh, Fiverr having a dream about um, their land being developed and filled in, which ends up forcing them all out, even though our protagonist rabbits get out before that. So the the development of the land is the instigator in Watership Down, and then there's the uh, uh, the animal experimenters in both Plague Dogs and Philly Day. So, uh, yeah, the, the humans do have a very direct influence on these stories, even if it's almost exclusively to get the story rolling. Um, and then it kind of, the the most direct, I think, is probably Felly Day, where uh, literally the human ideas of genetics and that kind of thing kind of are the reason for the, the conflict, like within the cat society itself. Um, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, yeah, I would say I would I would I would say it's interesting that the uh, the forms of cruelty differ across the films. Like in in Martin Rosen slash Richard Adams works, it's the 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 cruelty of nature or the uncaringness of nature is distinctly different than the cruelness and uncaring uh, way in which the humans act. Mm-hmm. Even Whereas though they have to Feliday, face both, they have to face both. But they they feel different. Like yeah. the, the 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 cruelty of nature feels natural. Feels like the course of things. The cruelty of humans almost feels like it's finagling with nature and corrupting it to be even worse than it normally was. Even right. to the point uh, of uh, in Plague Dogs, where uh, I think they bring this up in in the film, but it's it's brought up several times within the book of the dogs thinking that the houses and the towns and the stuff are the natural parts and whenever they get out into the wilderness they're like what have the humans done with all the houses they've taken all the houses away what is this uh and so they they have like a warped view of nature because of being uh raised in only human built kind of uh uh structure or whatever yeah, and then and then in Felidae, the 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 cruel the crueler animals are the ones who've kind of adopted more human like tendencies. Yeah, um, which mindsets. is which is is, is specifically in the incarnation of Men- Mendel, it's kind of manipulating nature because that's specifically what Mendel's experiments feel like they're described as right. in, in 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 the context of this movie. It feels like it's describing it as. Uh, he studied and then managed to alter nature. Yeah. Um, and that's what our, our big bad cat is trying to do as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, Jonathan, I have, so I brought this up earlier, yep. the animals of farthing woods. I know you're looking at, at the, at the, uh, at, if you could do me a favor and not look at the, uh, at the document that we're both looking at right now and guess for me, how many animals die in the first season of that uh, TV show? Oh, yeah, I saw the number, but I'm not looking at it right now. I can't remember it. Uh, is it? Is it? It's not north of a hundred, is it? No. Okay, so maybe like seventy. You're close. It's sixty-four. Okay. Okay. That's a yeah, lot. I, I watch. I How watch some season? of the death. How many episodes too. are there? Brutal. Um, I think it's like 12 per season. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of death. Um, it's, it's, but it's very, a lot of it's very natural, but some of it's very brutal. Like one of the main characters, Frog, gets scooped up in a bulldozer's bucket and then dumped on the ground. And then a pile of like rocks is dumped on top of him. Oh my gosh. Um, Aaron, have you seen the show or you just know about it? No, I, I... I know of the show, but I haven't watched it. Uh, I, I know about the deaths because that's what everyone talks about when you look up um, Bunch of Down. And yeah, it's, it's that's three seasons of a show I definitely need to check out. But this is a whole genre of, of uh, things you wouldn't expect. Um, just it's a very brave and bold. You know, I, I don't, I think more. Like I said earlier, I really think more um, animated series, animated films need to do this. I can't think of a single show um, in America other than 
Walking Dead and Game of Thrones that kills your main characters, you know, the way this does. Um, it's, just, it's very bold. It, it's very, very bold. Uh, we need more animation like this. So animators that are listening to this, do it. Yeah, so Aaron, you're kind of, uh, I think out of everyone on the show, you have like the most appreciation for like the classic uh, Disney animation. And if mm-hmm. you haven't heard our episode with Aaron where he comes on to talk about the Disney Renaissance, you should definitely do that because that was fascinating. Oh, um, but what, so you kind of uh, being able to appreciate both sides of the animation of like the the much uh more lighthearted and uh, happily ever after style of Disney. And then this really dark kind of animation, like in what ways do you think that we could incorporate some of these elements into some of our more popular animated films? Cause I still feel like there's this yeah. whole thing where Americans just, they don't expect this type of tone in their animation. And they like, like it's hard to, sell it here but i i yeah. feel like there's some way that it needs to start to be injected into the tone and the culture of american animation yeah yeah i definitely think um one way uh, to incorporate is uh there, there's uh, i'll give you an example actually uh there's a television show um that just went off called steven universe uh it's a very very kid-centric you know simple animated series, but it, it covers very heavy themes of like war, PTSD, um, gay marriage, uh, childhood traumas. Like it, it covers all of this, but it has this very, you know, you would not know it just from, you know, one image, you know, of the show. Um, I think one way we, you know, American animation can start incorporating is just, you know, dealing with these very heavy themes that you don't normally see, you know, in, in like your Disney films, because, you know, you have something like, like we were saying, Lion King, you know, that, that covers, you know, things like, um, murder, you know, um, ancestral divinity, you know, things like that. There's even a little bit of fascist takeover in there too. Right. Right. You know, you, the hyenas are freaking Nazis. So it's (laughs) like with, you know, and that's one reason, in my opinion, that is one reason why Lion King is always, you know, looked upon so highly, uh, because, you know, that's something that, you know, Disney went there, you know, that's what, you know, people always say. But with with the more mature themes in animation, there has to be this kind of, you know, m- basically a mature take and not just, haha, you know, look at these animals, you know, they're swearing or they're having sex, you know, something like that. You know, the way you handle it is um, it reflects, you know, your one, it reflects you. It reflects, you know, your art, but also reflects, you know, the kind of story you're trying to tell with the tone. And, you know, if just just as somebody who loves, you know, story, you know, not just animation, but story, you know, we all enjoy, you know, our fairy tales and our comic book, you know, but we really, you know, we like the darker things. We like darker things. You know, it just has to come to a, you know, a, a decent conclusion. And I think animation still has, you know, some strides it needs to take before it gets there over in the U.S. But, you know, we can definitely get there if we just, you know, really take it seriously. Because you, you look at Roger Rabbit, you know, that, that was, you know, pretty adult in terms of theme and tone. But, you know, it was just, it was the way it's handled. Yeah. Um, 
and I wonder if (laughs) I wonder if there's almost this thing that might help is like a stepping stone where if if the format of the animation looks a little different and it kind of helps us get there so I'm thinking of uh, like we already mentioned Wes Anderson of the the type of Isle of Dogs uh style where Isle of Dogs has a lot of those. It still has a little bit more of a quirky lightheartedness to it overall, but you could easily go from an Isle of Dogs to a stop motion plague dogs type of a thing. Um right. and then incorporate that into a more uh either uh CG or, you know, if anyone is gonna be gutsy enough to do a, a beautiful watercolor type of animation, 2D animation again. Uh, I think that would be great. And then bring that into a more mainstream kind of a thing. It might have to be that kind of a, a stepping stone or bridge out of our our normal Disney aesthetic because just snapping from, you know, Disney to Plague Dogs is a, is a big jump. But I feel like there's a way that, that it could happen with some of the precedents that have already been set in uh, in Hollywood right now. Christopher Nolan, you have 24 hours to respond. <laughs> if Christopher Nolan directed an animated film, that would be incredible. <laughs> He's not going to do that, though. I know. Ralph goes back in time. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, cool. So uh, anything else to talk about about all these um, great, dark, uh, thematic films, guys? People better uh, watch. Oh, them. I do want to. I do want to just shout out John Hurt real quick. Yeah, no oh, kidding. Uh, yeah, he's kind of danced his way through uh, a lot of our shows um, because he's one of the great character actors of cinema history, um, and and he does make he does voice characters in both the Plague Dogs and a Watership Down. In fact, he voices the the nervous psychic in both Fiverr and <laughs> yeah, right, uh, Snitter because he's just so he's just so good at that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, then let's kind of transition and talk about what we're going to be doing on the podcast next time. And yes, the Filmlings is going to turn a little bit opportunistic. But as long as you guys are all trapped at home uh, and you're already watching these movies, I know so many people have watched Contagion over the last like two weeks. It's probably insane. Um, but Netflix that's won't stop recommending it. <laughs> I know. That's that's what uh, we're I'm covering. Like, I'm going to watch it. I just don't want to have to watch it twice. We're doing like a two week span. Yeah. We're doing a pandemic episode uh, for now while we still can, while we're all still locked in our homes. So we're going to cover Outbreak from 1995, Contagion from 2011, and uh, we're going to see how this one goes. But we're going to cover The Flu from 2013, which is a Korean film. Um, so we're going to try and keep it uh, as much as possible to like uh, quote unquote realistic depictions of pandemics rather than say like a sci-fi film where an alien uh, you know no zombies virus <laughs> comes in no no one turns into zombies no one you know uh, turns into creatures or werewolves or whatever so just people getting sick and dying uh, at various levels that's what I haven't seen any of these movies and I think that they all fall into that category so we'll see next time. And if you guys would like to support us, we have a Patreon. Um, and on the last bonus podcast, we talked about the CBC Film Company, which eventually became Columbia Pictures. So we got kind of technical about the uh, industry side of things um, and kind of where studios are at now and a, l- a little bit of that. So if you're interested in some of that film history stuff, 
you can uh, go check us out on the Patreon podcast and also just join the, the community there. Or come creep on us on Letterboxd. Oh, yeah, definitely. Anyone can do that. Mm-hmm. Creep on us on yeah. Letterboxd. Well, see, yeah, watch me. See how much watch, time watch Alex me, has watch during five the, movies in a day. Yeah, yeah, during the quarantine, Alex is just like plowing through movies. Well, I mean, those Criterion collections, man, they have those little collections and they're just like, here's 10 movies with Rita exactly. Hayworth in it. Yeah, right. And I'm like, what else am exactly. I going to do? And this is where we pressure Aaron to get on Letterboxd finally. I mean, he's I mean, on, it, on it. Letterboxd. Yeah, he's just, he's on just, he just doesn't use it. You just got to put your movies in there. Come on, man. For I'll shame, it. I'll Aaron. do it. I'll do it. I mean, I have nothing else to, to you know, keep me busy, so I might as well. There. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well. Letterbox. Might as well. Endorsed by Harry Johnson. I, I think Letterbox is probably seeing. Letterbox is probably seeing a oh, big yeah. uptick oh, in yeah, use sure. right now. Oh, I'm sure. All right, guys. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode. If you have movie suggestions for us or just want to reach out, I can be found on Twitter at, at JS Satchel. And I'm at Alice Garinger. And I'm at Aaron Michael underscore J. And I'm at the Blue J 1994. And to find links to things that we talked about today, you can view them on the blog at thefilmlinks.com. If you like the show, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes so other people know what we're all about. We definitely appreciate it. All right, talk to you later. All right, thanks for joining, Aaron. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Peace. Cat Hitler. Cat Hitler. Um, Hitler in disguise. I'm sorry, guys. It was it was there for me. It just happened. That was perfect. Oh, there it goes. Guys, we have to stop kitten around. Oh, oh God, no, I hear it now. Well, that's the problem. All right. What we need now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Jonathan, what was yours? I don't think it was, I don't it. Think it was gonna come off. Say so it. We need a record scratch right now and oh, get oh. back on track. <laughs> Oh, no, mm. Jonathan. No, 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 goodbye. You know what? That was our fault. We encouraged you. Yeah. Yeah. I blame the movie, though. <laughs>